The FBI investigates possible Trump campaign links to the Russian government's attempt to sway the U.S. election. And fraudsters try to trick users around a Microsoft defense of office. These stories are more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. That the FBI, as part of our counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government, and whether there was any coordination between the campaign and Russia's efforts. That's FBI Director James Comey testifying on Monday before the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. The committee is examining the Russian government's actions to influence the outcome of the November election in which Republican Donald Trump defeated Democrat Hillary Clinton. No one on the committee disputes the Russian government tried to influence the vote through hacking of Democratic Party computers that produced information that proved damaging to Clinton, as well as manipulating social media to help disseminate that information to the electorate. Comey says it's highly unusual for the FBI to confirm the existence of an ongoing investigation, especially one involving classified information. But in unusual circumstances, where it is in the public interest, it may be appropriate to do so as Justice Department policies recognize. This is one of those circumstances. It's not just the Russian hack that interested the committee. President Trump two weeks ago tweeted that then-President Barack Obama directed the hacking of Trump Tower, an accusation the president has yet to provide evidence for. With respect to the president's tweets about alleged wiretapping directed at him by the prior administration, I have no information that supports those tweets and we have looked carefully inside the FBI. The Department of Justice has asked me to share with you that the answer is the same for the Department of Justice and all its components. The department has no information that supports those tweets. At a press briefing last week, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer cited a Fox News analyst who suggested that the Obama administration asked the British equivalent of the National Security Agency, GCHQ, to spy on Trump or his allies. At the hearing, the Intelligence Committee's ranking member, Democrat Adam Schiff of California, asked NSA Director Mike Rogers whether NSA asked GCHQ on behalf of Obama to wiretap Trump. No, sir. Now, that would be expressly against the construct of the Five Eyes Agreement that's been in place for decades. And the Five Eyes are some of our closest intelligence partners, and Britain is one of them. Yes, sir. Have you seen any evidence that anyone else in the Obama administration made such a request? No, sir. And again, my view is the same as Director Comey. I've seen nothing on the NSA side that we engaged in any such activity, nor that anyone ever asked us to engage in such activity. Still, the president wasn't without support on the committee. Here's the panel chairman, Republican Representative Devin Nunez of California. I've been saying this for several weeks. We know there was not a physical wiretap of Trump Tower. However, it's still possible that other surveillance activities were used against President Trump and his associates. And White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer says the president isn't backing off his original claim. We started a hearing. Um, it's still ongoing. And then, as uh, Chairman Nunez mentioned, this is one in a series of hearings uh, that will be happening. Spicer, as well as some Republican members on the committee, used the hearing to deflect its focus from Trump's claim, as well as the investigation to Russian election meddling, to leaks to the media that unmasked individuals who might be under investigation. One unmasking, former Trump National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who met with the Russian ambassador during the presidential campaign. 
Republican Representative Trey Gowdy of South Carolina says such leaks are illegal, a point that Comey and Rogers concur. Some of that may rise to the level of a crime. Some of it does not rise to the level of crime. One thing you and I agree on is the felonious dissemination of classified material most definitely is a crime. Ranking member Schiff, speaking later Monday on PBS NewsHour, says that the leaks the country should be most concerned about are those that portray sources and methods of information that could be exploited by adversaries. What seems to really upset the administration is a different kind of leak. It's a leak that exposes malfeasance within the administration. What really upset the president wasn't the fact that Mike Flynn was unmasked to the country and that Mike Flynn was exposed as having lied to the country uh, and the vice president. Um, about his conversations with the Russian ambassador. What really upset the president was that essentially he was caught in the lie. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Microsoft long ago disabled macros that hackers exploited to place malware in office applications. But fraudsters are using a pre-internet method to trick users to turn on the macros. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk dials in on this story. Hello, I've sent you an important document over email. Can you please turn on macros in Microsoft Office? That's the pitch some organizations are hearing when they pick up the phone. It may seem to be an odd phone call, and it is. FireEye's Mandate Unit says some hackers are going the extra mile when trying to compromise computers, calling victims on the phone to push forward a phishing attack. The hackers are trying to get the victim to open an office document that has been rigged with a malicious macro. Microsoft turned off macros by default long ago in its often applications due to the security risks. But the only way some attackers are seen around the roadblock is to call and convince people to flick them back on. Bryce Boland, FireEye's Asia-Pacific CTO, says the ploy has worked. We know that in some cases, the reason that they called us in is because they had an incident and we've identified that was the cause. So it it does work. As you can imagine, it only has to work against one victim in in that organization and the attacker now has a foothold. Social engineering has long been used to trick people into divulging sensitive information or into doing something that gives an attacker an advantage. But it's not the only older technique that Mandiant saw revived in its review of the attack landscape in its mTrends report, which was released last week. Another one is tampering with a computer's boot record. It dates 20 or more years ago. Over the last year, some cyber attackers have inserted a remote access trojan into the volume boot record, which is the first sector of a partitioned disk. Their malicious code is loaded before the operating system. The attackers create a new boot entry in either the master boot record or in the partition table. The most common modification is creating a small hypervisor that executes and puts the machine into guest mode before loading the OS. It's a feature that is supported by modern Intel chips. The infection is difficult to detect after the fact. Bryce Boland. Uh, the only way you'll find them is if you can see changes to the boot records and the partition tables as they're occurring. Post that, the attacks can completely hide themselves from the operating system environment that the user would be in. There's little you can do about the volume boot record attack, but at least for the first one, don't follow dodgy instructions over the phone. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. Finally, a Senate bill, if enacted, would require a publicly traded company in its filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission to report whether or not a cybersecurity expert sits on its board of directors. 
If not, Cybersecurity Disclosure Act would require companies to explain why such expertise on the board is unnecessary because of other steps taken by the company to enlighten board members about the cyber risk. What the bill does not do is compel publicly traded companies to have a cybersecurity expert sit on the board. According to a Georgia Tech study, cybersecurity experts sit on about one quarter of boards of directors in the United States. The author of that study is Jody Westby. She heads the consultancy Global Cyber Risk and says the legislation would not be onerous on businesses to implement. It's a pretty harmless suggestion. It's one that actually companies can take without it costing them much money at all. It just helps them be more informed in their decisions and to have the right kind of expertise for the problems they're facing. It's a pretty hard bill to oppose. It's not like mandates on companies that require them to spend lots of money or compliance requirements. The bipartisan bill is sponsored by Republican Susan Collins of Maine and Democrats Jack Reed of Rhode Island and Mark Warner of Virginia. They characterize the legislation as a consumer and shareholder protection measure. In arguing for the bill's need, Reed cited Yahoo's annual report filed with the SEC earlier this month that discussed the 2014 breach of the company, believed conducted by the Russian government, that exposed records of a half billion users. The annual report said the Yahoo board was not adequately informed of the full severity, risks, and potential impacts of the 2014 security incident. Reese says the lack of board understanding regarding the breach showed that Yahoo failed to consider cybersecurity as a critical business practice. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chavro. Catch you next time. Oh,